Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Glad to be in church. Make some noise on a Sunday. To those of you watching online, thanks so much for joining us at cityoflife.life. Glad that you are here. My name is Pastor Justin. I serve as one of the associate pastors here at City of Life. Man, it is good to be here on a Sunday. So good to be worshiping together. So good to be declaring the miraculous power of God. And if you need a miracle, we know the miracle maker. If you ever feel that sense like when you hear more bad news that, man, this is just impossible, be encouraged because he is the God of the impossible. When it seems like there is no answer, he is the one who makes a way. So we're glad that you are here today. Welcome, welcome. And if it's your first time, thanks so much for joining us. You're in an amazing place. I grew up in this church, and I'm so grateful for my pastors, our founding pastors, Dr. Gary and Dr. Janice, our senior pastors, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Amy Smith. You're in a place that will equip you if you'll let it. You're in a place that will cause you to grow if you'll let it. (laughs) You're in a place that will connect you to people who will transform your life if you'll let it. Be a participant in your church. Lean in. I met my beautiful wife over in kids' church while we were kids. Thank God for our kids' ministry. (laughs) My closest friends are a result of this community. Everything I've learned and grown in is a result of being planted here. I'm living proof of the promise that says those who are planted in the house of God will flourish, will flourish. And so if you've been looking to flourish, try planting. Everybody wants to flourish. Nobody wants to plant. Plant. Let your roots go down somewhere and stay and stay and stay. I could preach a whole sermon on staying. Staying is tough. Believing, holding, stay. Because this word that we're singing about today, the breakthrough, Just stay for the, thank you, Granger. She preached it for me. Stay for the breakthrough. Why give up right before the breakthrough? Why give up right before the breakthrough? You came this whole way. Why give up right before the breakthrough? Or do you doubt it's really coming? Because then that's the question. If you're leaving any promise in your life, maybe it's because you've forgotten who promised you. If he said it, he will do it. Now, I don't know about the timeline. That's a different conversation. But if he said it, he will do it. Hold on for the breakthrough. I'm really excited because of what God is doing in our church right now. It is so fresh and so special. Shout out to all the ladies who had Zoe night this week. It was incredible. Can we just point out, like, I was just, like, stalking and looking at all the posts about it. So beautiful, so decorative. You already know what I'm going to say. The men's night, we just had bacon. (laughs) Bacon and feats of strength. And that's honestly my vibe. Like, that's what I was looking for. But y'all look like you had a whole fashion show here. It was an amazing night. And I know Pastor Amy's heart to unite the women of our church is so evident. But it rests on your shoulders, too, to plant. Tonight at 5 o'clock, ladies, it's your opportunity to plant together to come here for those small groups and to connect. And as my wife said, you're not alone and you don't have to be lonely. 
If you've been feeling those pains of like nobody knows me or sees me, get here at five o'clock. <laughs> Plant, sit in the middle of a group and say, come, come to mama. <laughs> like this is your opportunity. Don't miss your chance. We're really excited about what God is doing. And we're also in the middle of our frequently asked question series. And I have the lighthearted topic of what is sin? What is sin? It's a really, really broad question. And when it's asked to me, I, I will have to, I mean, it's, it's a great title for this message, but I think the more honest question for anyone who's been asked it is, is this sin? <laughs> is usually the question we get. Is this thing sin? Because I really like this. <laughs> is this okay? What can I get away with? What is sin really? And today I believe we're going to see some truth in God's word. But I need to ask if you are willing to be convicted today. <laughs> are you available for God to maybe poke and prod on some things? Give me a, a hand of agreement that you're like, okay, bring on. This is one of those days, all right? This is one of those days we're all going to get a little uncomfortable. So I'll try to throw a joke here or there to maybe, you know, lighten the mood a bit. But this is one of those days where I believe we will be held to a refiner's fire. But it's a good day for that. Because anytime God is bringing truth, it's to make us more like him. So if you're, if you're willing to say, God, correct me, not my spouse, not my friend, me, I think today can be miraculous for you. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is like a mirror that shows us exactly where we are and who we are and how we can grow and change. So as we get into this word today, I pray that you would speak to us, convict us, challenge us, and most of all, make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, what is sin? It's a huge and lofty topic that a lot of people wrestle with because, quite frankly, we all see things differently. And this is, I, I love the foundation that Pastor Jeff and Pastor Amy have laid when talking about relativism and what it is to have truth in my story and truth in your story. Like at some point, there has to be a truth. And scripture lays out what truth really is. And sin in the broadest sense, in the most general sense, like if you just Google it, it says a transgression against a moral law or a divine law. Like going against some principle that is divinely held. Going against the way that one should go. I'll point you back to the previous teachings in this series, but also our series called Should, a word that changes everything. It is vital for you to listen to that series because there is a way things should go. And it is God's way. And if everything is just up to you, that's a scary, scary world. <laughs> But there is a way that is right, and it is the way of God. Particularly, one of my favorite ideas of how to express sin comes from the more New Testament word, and it's missing the mark. I love that idea. Say missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark. All right, just to get it warmed up in here. Has anyone ever missed the mark in any way? Okay. Woo! All right, we're in the right place. We're good. Wow, both hands went up back there. Glad you're here. Love you. <laughs> Missing the mark. All of us miss the mark. But sometimes we're so generous with ourselves and we're saying, oh, it was, it was an oops. It was a mistake. It was just a tough day. At what point do we take responsibility and say, that was wrong? <laughs> this was wrong. This is where it gets a little uncomfortable because it's easy for us to go easy on ourselves and hard on others. 
This is actually the whole point of why Jesus got so angry in the New Testament, because the religious leaders were going easy on themselves and judging others hard. And this is where all this idea that people get so worked up about, about don't judge me. Well, that's only half of the issue. Really, ultimately, what it's about is judging yourself. Have you looked in the mirror? Have you said, wow, where am I getting it wrong? Where am I missing the mark? And sin is missing the mark, whether it's on purpose on accident, or somewhere in between. Sin is missing the mark. And so I figured it would be most beneficial for us to go back to the OG, the original sin, (laughs) to go back to where all of this started so that we can learn about how sin crept into humanity, but also see ourselves in this story. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. This is the fall of humankind. And uh, it's about Adam and Eve, but you could swap your name in just as quickly. Because I see myself in this story too. This is all of us. So I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? That already sounds like the devil. I don't care if he came like a snake or a lamb. It doesn't matter. That question, did God really say? It's the beginning of confusion. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Verse 2, then the woman said to the serpent, pause here, Eve, why why are you talking back to the serpent? (laughs) Why are we engaging in the dialogue? There is only one thing we need to say in the face of temptation, and it's get thee behind me, Satan. Like, get out. I'm not listening. I'm not entertaining. But sometimes we like to have a chat. She engages this. She says, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So God did tell them you can eat from anything in the garden, but you must not eat from this one tree. There is one limit, one restraint, one rule. Because by having boundaries, an individual is able to express choice. That I'm honoring you out of choice. I'm choosing to love you, choosing to honor you. Rather than God creating this garden where his little robot children run around and do everything he says, he's saying, hey, we have this loving, intimate relationship, so I'm just asking you to live within that safety that we've created. Just one thing. Don't eat that. And of course, what do Adam and Eve start to focus on? We have 99 great, wonderful, beautiful, lush trees, but that one, man, it's tempting. And when Eve dialogues with Satan, which is just, (laughs) again, I can't emphasize how silly this is, and yet we all engage with it. When she dialogues back, she said, well, we can eat anything we want, but God said don't eat from this tree or touch it or we'll die. God actually didn't say don't touch it. He said don't eat from it. And already Eve is getting confused. And this is really deep, and I hope you can stay with me. Because God never spoke directly to Eve. He told Adam. And then Adam told Eve. And I can imagine, can you see this scene with me? When, and when, you know, Eve comes out of Adam's rib and she's formed and she's like, whoa, this place is beautiful. And he's walking her around, her around and Adam says, God gave us all of this. Uh, oh, except that tree, Eve. Listen, Eve, look at me. God told me we can never eat from that tree. Don't even touch it. 
So Adam adds perhaps some additional pressure, additional boundary, and Eve says, okay, well, now I can't even touch it or I'll die, which isn't what God said. It's the same intent, right? Like, it's not like this is a bad addition. It's the same intent, but it can be confusing in just a moment because Adam tells Eve, don't touch it or you'll die. God never said that. He said, don't eat it or you'll die. And he said, don't touch it or you'll die. And Eve's like, well, yeah, I'm not even supposed to touch it. And then Satan capitalizes on this. He says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And then the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable, so she took some. And this is a critical moment in scripture where she touches the fruit. She touches. And when she touched that tree, what happened? Nothing. Everything in her said, oh, I'm probably going to die. I'm probably going to die. I'm probably going to die. <gasps> hey, <laughs> wait a minute. Nothing happened. Adam had instituted, instituted this deep moral boundary. Don't even touch it or you'll die. Which is good in, in principle, Right? Like, this is probably how I would instruct my son. Just stay away. Don't touch it. But then, sin has this really tempting quality where it's like, oh, everything will be fine. T touch it once. Oh, see? You're fine. And then temptation starts to flow. Well, you touched it and nothing happened, so you might as well enjoy this. And listen to me. Boundaries are vital. They are essential. I am the strongest proponent of healthy boundaries. But if we approach sin only from the perspective of avoiding consequences, we're in for trouble. If the only reason you avoid sin is to not get in trouble, to not have consequences, what happens when someone touches the tree? And nothing happens. Please pardon the largest air quotes ever. What happens when someone tries it out and gets away with it? It's really confusing. Because in my head, I'm like, don't touch it or I'll die. Don't drink this or I'm a bad person. Don't smoke this, I'm a bad person. Don't cheat, don't sleep around, don't watch porn. Whatever it is, don't do all of these things or I'll just absolutely die. But what happens when you don't? Sin has the ability to beckon us in. It's like, you're not dying. What happens when the high feels good? What happens when the rush feels great? What happens when the dishonesty gets you more money? Woo! It just keeps beckoning you in. And this is the difficult part of the, this chapter in Genesis, is that Eve didn't drop dead the moment she touched that tree. Sin beckons us in. And in this unfolding of events in this one moment we're watching the trust be broken between Adam and Eve and their creator this is not just about avoiding consequences consequences are not the problem sin is the problem consequences are not the issue sin is the issue whether you get away with it or not, whether everyone finds out or no one finds out, 
It's never about the ramifications. It's about sin itself. Sin is the problem. Sin is the issue. Sin is the offense between a child and their father, a creation and their creator. Sin is the problem, not the fallout. And so often people ache and they cry over the results of sin. But when are we going to get to the point where we have that approach towards sin itself? Not to what lying caused, but to lying itself. Not to what hate caused, but hate itself. Sin is the issue regardless of its consequences. Regardless of how it's viewed in culture, whether people will shame it or applaud it, sin is the issue. Whether it's popular or not, sin is the problem. It flies in the face of what God intended. And so often we cry tears over what sin costs, but we never weep over sin being the problem. And I'm speaking really big and culturally, but let's look right in the mirror. So often people are like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, you're sorry for what? for how it all unfolded. You're sorry you got caught. You're sorry of the consequence. I can't believe I almost just quoted Rihanna. (laughs) Don't say you're sorry because you got caught. (laughs) The great theologian, Rihanna. (laughs) Too many people are sorry they got caught, but not sorry for what they actually did. Sin is the problem. Sin is the issue. Sin is missing the mark, not just the consequence that it brings. And so this is where this real question comes in of like, is this sin? What can I get away with? My favorite when I was youth and young adult pastoring was, how far is too far? <laughs> okay, if we're even asking that question, it's too far. <laughs> how, how much can I get away with? Is that really how we're approaching the one who created us? Saying, how much can I get away with? Because the intent behind that question is how much can I do without a consequence? (laughs) How far can I get without getting burned? And it's never about the consequence. It's about the relationship that exists between us and God. Be very, very careful because sin has a price. Woo! And it's way too high a cost. (laughs) You ever been in the store and you're like, oh, that shirt's kind of cool. And then you turn around and you're like... There's like way too many zeros. (laughs) That's what sin is. It doesn't matter how good it looks when you look at the price. It ain't that cute. (laughs) Sin has a price, and you may not pay it now. That's the scary thing. I think all of us would approach sin differently if every time we did something, it immediately blew up in our face. But nah, it entices. It brings us in. It says, oh, we'll put this on your tab. And then one day, when it's time to pay, you can't afford it. Sin is the problem. The wages of sin is death. The price is way too high. And so in this moment, through temptation, listen, Satan gets Eve to doubt God's goodness and doubt sin's badness. In just one moment, she touches, it's this moment. Before she eats, it's when she takes. She takes and she says, Well, I'm alive. Was God lying? And if I didn't drop dead from touching it, will I drop dead from eating it? In one moment, she is spiraling, doubting how good God is and doubting how bad sin is. And this is where deception takes us. It's where confusion takes us. Moving forward, she saw this fruit that it was desirable. She took 
and ate. And then she also gave some to her husband who was with her. (laughs) Does anyone like get upset at those few words? He was with her. Was this man not like freaking out, yelling, screaming? He was just watching. And you know what I think here? He's had this in his mind the the whole time too. And he lets Eve touch the tree. He's like, I mean, if you're going to touch it, just... Like, go ahead, see what happens. And then when she touches it, he's like, wait a minute. Well, she didn't die. Okay, Eve, you're taking a bite first because she took the first bite. He's letting her go first. He's not taking his place of leadership because God told him the rule. He's not leading the way he should. He's shirking back and saying, someone else go lead it. And then, you know, we'll see what happens. Imagine if she blew up right there. (laughs) he's like you were right you were right you were right (laughs) no he lets her eat it he lets her be the buffer because he has always questioned this rule himself and so she eats it and then he takes and eats does anyone notice how this action take and eat corrupted mankind. Spoiler alert, fast forwarding to later, when the same action is what cleanses us. Take and eat. Touch my broken body and take in my shed blood. When Jesus serves the Last Supper, he's redeeming the sinful action of taking and eating. Take and eat. Take and eat. But the first take and eat was a serious problem. The first supper wasn't too good. And if a first supper is good, you don't need another supper. (laughs) But this one left them hungry. And this is way too theological and way sweeping of a statement. But the minute that first supper was taken and eaten, God starts preparing the last supper. (laughs) He's like, no, what you just cooked for yourself, you made a mess in that kitchen. I'm preparing something that will change you and save you and redeem you and nourish you. But in this moment, Adam and Eve, they take and eat. Ad, or, sorry, Eve sinned in deception. She's confused from what Adam told her and from what the snake told her. Adam sins in rebellion. He knew what God told him. It was directly communicated. No questions, no ifs, ands, or buts. And yet both of them sin. Eve was like, I didn't know. It's still sin. Adam did know. It's still sin. Sin is missing the mark by mistake, on purpose, with a nice attitude, with a rebellious attitude. It's all sin. And they miss the mark. And then the story gets wild. It says, then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So a lot of theologians believe that they were shrouded in light covered in God's glory, and then in this moment, it's all retracted, and they're standing vulnerably and bare, and they're naked. I mean, if you grew up in kids' church, this is always kind of like a weird part of the illustrations. It's like, why are they always behind trees? (laughs) I always thought that. I was like, why is her hair so long? (laughs) Sorry, church kid stuff. (laughs) But they realize they're naked, and I will... I will never forget something Pastor Janice taught about sin. 
and the way that the enemy works. It was so visual. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this. She said, the enemy has only one trick, one finger that he uses to entice you into sin. And then the moment that you do, that same finger turns and shames you for the sin. He ain't even got other tricks. It's just this and this. Temptation and shame. And so the moment that they are enticed into sin, now shame enters the story. And if you're asking me what is sin, one of the answers that I have found true in my life and in the lives of so many others, sin is the precursor to shame. It invites shame directly into the story. It brings shame. It brings death. It brings heaviness. And in this moment, Adam and Eve look, and they're naked. And so they sew fig leaves together to make coverings for themselves. That sounds uncomfortable. <laughs> like, that's like survivor status. <laughs> it doesn't really work. They went from the light of God's glory to trying to get, like, tree leaves. Shame always covers ineffectively. When you're ashamed about something, you cover it. You hide it. But you don't do it well. You're ashamed about an addictive cycle in your life. And you come to church and you're like, hope the pastor doesn't look at me. <laughs> hope this isn't the day that someone says, you! <laughs> we, yeah. <laughs> Everyone deals with that concern or fear or like, hope people don't see this about me or I hope people don't know what I'm dealing with because I'm ashamed of it. I hope people don't know about the, the battle I'm having in my mind or the fears that I deal with or the past that I come from. I'm just trying to like get through. I'm going to church, just trying to be a better person. But everything that you're doing is an attempt to medicate your own shame. You're going to church to check a box to somehow feel better about yourself because you're wrapped in shame. You're trying to be a good person because you don't believe you're a good person. Because shame narrates to you, you're garbage, you're trash, you're broken. What did invite you, hey, try this, it'll be fun, now tells you you're worthless, you lost your value, you're broken, you're damaged goods as a result. Shame entraps us in the narrative that we are worthless. And in this moment, they are sewing fig leaves together. It's not often that I cite medical journals, but I'm going to do that for just a second, because <laughs> this one from 2019, it just seemed too fitting. It was from the Mashhad University of Medical Science in, uh, in Iran, which is the right region for our story here. It was a study on phytophotodermatitis. I had to practice. <laughs> it's a condition which is caused by contact with some plants containing a specific quality. In the sap of the fig tree is this quality. It's the main cause of irritant, and particularly the leaves of the fig tree produce irritability when in contact with the skin. The sensation is burning, pain, and usually begins within 24 hours after exposure. The leaf of the fig tree is the most potent part causing this irritant reaction. A report was done. Four children were playing at a family picnic, and they were playing in fig leaves, and they were sent to the hospital with second-degree burns over the surface of their body, coming in contact with this leaf, burning the skin. I think it's the most perfect picture of how shame works. It's covering me, but it is burning me. Shame hides it covers the parts of us that we feel we don't want to be seen. But all the while, you are burning with pain. 
Within almost moments of covering yourself in shame, you are burning and itching and hurting. And this, this is not the kind of covering that you need. Your sin does need to be covered, but it is not with shame. Shame is the worst thing to cover sin with because it heaps pain upon the sin. And it heaps, it heaps pain and guilt upon this infraction. You don't need shame to cover your sin. You need forgiveness and grace to cover your sin. It heals. It restores. It brings life where there was death. But shame condemns you. It says, I'm the problem. It burns. It's like a second-degree burn. We don't need that shame. If you've been in hiding over shame, come out of hiding. Adam and Eve hid. It says they heard God coming in the garden. They're covered up in these leaves that are burning them. And they picked the wrong leaf. (laughs) They're covered up. And then they run behind a tree. And this is one of the most heartbreaking moments of scripture for me when God asks a question. He says, Adam, where are you? God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knew where Adam was. He wasn't asking for information. He was asking for intimacy. He was saying, Adam, you've never hid from me before. Adam, there's never been something between us. I, I see you behind that tree. Where are you? You're supposed to be right here with me. But you removed yourself from, from what we had. Shame and sin, they pull us away from the only one who can forgive us and heal us and, and redeem us and wash us. And if you have allowed shame to narrate to you what God is going to say if you were to show up. I remember I invited someone to church one day and he said, I can't go in there. I'll burn down. And I said, first of all, I'll have my phone out just in case. (laughs) But try me. Just come and see what happens. If you really have allowed shame to convince you that if you were to be honest about your life, honest about your sin, honest about what's happened, that God would condemn you and judge you and curse you. Let him speak for himself. Because shame has already created the narrative. Let him speak for himself. You ask him. If you're really wondering what God's going to say about you, ask him. Say, Father, I have sinned and I need to know what you have to say about me. You listen and watch how different it is from shame. Because God didn't come ripping through that garden with sword in hand saying, Adam, come out. I'm here to get you. He's saying, Adam, Where are you? I I want to be with you. That longing for intimacy is the same posture that he's taking toward you today. And I believe it's time for you to hear, where are you? I've been looking for you. I've been waiting for you. God is looking to reconnect. And if maybe it has been sin that has brought about that disconnect, or maybe it was sin from 20 years ago and you're still hiding in shame, he's still inviting you into relationship. I don't care if the sin was yesterday or a lifetime ago. If shame has put up walls between you and your Savior, there is work to be done today. Come out of hiding and into relationship with him. So what is the cost of sin? We've talked about the wages of sin is death. But if you want to know ultimately the best way that I can express what sin costs, the cost of sin, the result of sin is the cross. 
The cross is the point where all of sin and shame are conquered by Christ. You know, this idea of the serpent in the Old Testament that comes and institutes this whole cycle, it's an attack. That's why I was saying what I said earlier. If we don't realize everything is spiritual, all these things that happen around us and how the world is going crazy, if we don't see the same serpent, if we don't see the same tactic, it's all the same tactic to steal and kill and destroy what God is desiring to flourish. Because sin is anything that compromises human flourishing. Whether it's leading to death or division or hate, God's plan is for humans to flourish and sin wants to steal that away. And this serpent became like the symbol for sin. The Jews kind of always used it as a symbol for sin. It's the bad thing. I don't have time to unpack this whole story, but in the desert, when they were rebelling against God and they were all getting bit by snakes and dying and, and this miracle is sent, God instructs them to raise up on a staff a serpent. And when they looked on this thing, they were healed. God, I would pick something different, right? Like, not the bad thing. I would be like, raise some Neosporin <laughs> up on a staff. Or if you're Hispanic, just Vicks Vapor Rub up there, like, up on the top of the staff. But God was painting a picture. Raise up the thing that is most hideous and awful because in that, you will find healing. When Jesus was raised up on that cross, Pastor Jeff has taught this so beautifully. He didn't just conquer sin, he became sin on that cross. He didn't just defeat hate, he became that. He didn't just defeat addiction, he became addiction. He didn't just defeat adultery, he became adultery. And every time Pastor preaches this, I like squirm in my seat because I'm like, I don't want to imagine my Jesus being adultery or addiction. It hurts, it's hard. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. He took on all the difficult things, all the vile, dirty, broken things that we have engaged in, he became those because we were headed for that. It was either his cross or yours. And he said, I'm doing it. He took that place and he conquered sin there on the cross. And so now what? If he's done the heavy lifting, what is our job? This call to action today is to repent. Repent, which means turn from your ways. Not just for sins that you have done in the past, like the bad things when I said this or did this. We very much have to be repentant about our sin. Maybe today you're here, and just this week, you did some of the worst things you've ever done. You have the same call that I do, brother. It's repent today. Let today be the day. But for those of us who maybe been in church for too long, you know sin isn't just about action. It's about inaction. Not doing the right thing. You're still missing the mark, even if you're not throwing in the opposite direction like you used to. Not doing the right thing. James 4.17 says, if anyone then knows the good they should do and doesn't do it, it's sin. I hate that verse. Oh, do you know how many times God has said, hey, go talk to that person. And I said, I'm busy. Do you think that's just me like choosing differently or like, oh, I was just not sensitive? No. I have to look at those moments in my life and repent because, God, you told me what to do and I didn't do it. That is sin. When God tells me, be generous, and I keep my fist tight, that's sin. By doing nothing, when God says do something, I'm sinning. 
And if you follow Jesus for some time, let me ask you a bone-chilling question today. When's the last time you repented? Was it that moment 20 years ago? Or is there something today that just like the worst sinner, perhaps the follower of Jesus can still say, Father, forgive me. I did not obey. You told me to do something and I didn't do it and I repent. I need your forgiveness. And I'm going to do things differently. If we are not repenting, we're missing out on one of the greatest invitations that God has given. If my people, not other people, if my people who are called by my name, us, if we will humble ourselves and turn from our wicked ways and repent, he'll heal our land. And if we've been just looking around saying, when is all this going to get fixed? Maybe we should start asking, when is this going to get fixed? When is the last time you repented? Maybe it needs to be today. I'll end with this verse, 1 John 1, 9. What does it mean to repent? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I almost named this message, if the question was what is sin, I almost used the movie title, That Thing You Do. (laughs) What is sin? That thing all of us do. If anyone says they're without sin, you're deceiving yourself. But verse 9, if we confess our sins, admit our sins, acknowledge our sins, step out of shame and be honest about our sinfulness. If we confess it, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we haven't sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. All of us fall short. And if you say, well, that's not me, then you're saying God's a liar, his word's a liar. You're deceiving yourself. All of us fall short. And when we confess our sin, God has two amazing qualities. He's faithful and just to forgive us, which in my opinion is the moment. He he snatches us out of sin and death. But then it says he purifies us, which I think is a loving, gracious process of cleansing us and wiping us and washing us. He'll forgive you and he'll purify you. And if you will remain repentant, and you think, wow, from like Friday night to Sunday morning, I feel like a different person. I believe in that. But if you remain repentant, watch what happens in five years. If you're daily saying, cleanse me, purify me, he is going to transform your life through repentance. And that process of cleansing, I can't think of a better day than today, Baptism Sunday. You go into that water, you're saying, forgive me, but then the purifying is that process of being washed. Baptism is a moment, but it's also about a lifestyle, there forward, that my life belongs to you. It's going in a new direction. Today after service, right in front of our lobby, there's an opportunity to be baptized. And trust me, on behalf of our whole team, there is no judgment here. If you need to be baptized and you're like, well, but I mean, I've been a Christian for 10 years. Do what you need to do. Whatever moment you need, We will celebrate it. We'll support it because it is better to be repentant and bring everything up out into the light than to just keep hiding behind the fig leaf of your own piety. That's not what it's about. That's not what City of Life has ever been about. Bring it into light and let grace cover you. But I want to give one opportunity here. If you bow your heads and close your eyes. If you have never called on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been doing it your own way. Sin is missing the mark, but Jesus... He is the mark. 
and he's made a way for you to be forgiven. If that's you and you say, Pastor Justin, I need Jesus. I need to repent. I'm going to invite you to raise your hands all over the room. If you're watching online, type, I need Jesus. Thank you so much for that hand in the back. Are there others? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Just a few more moments. Yes. Yeah. Don't miss this moment if you're watching online. Type, I need Jesus. Whatever in the room, repeat this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin for missing the mark. I repent. I want to go in a new direction. I want to follow you from this day forward. From now on, it's Jesus first and Jesus always. In your name I pray. Amen. Hey, right after service today, come on, let's celebrate those. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.